Well, good morning. It's a, a pleasure to be with you, and I, I just—I also graduated. My name is Jeremiah. I graduated from Westminster, and and I love Westminster, especially for how they taught us and formed us to pray. Ari, that was a beautiful prayer, and uh, so it's just wonderful to be with you uh, this morning to see your faces. I I get excited every time I come to a new church and I get to preach because it's like God. He just shows me how small I am and how big he is. I've never met you. I've never seen you. And yet you and I are tied together in the same Jesus Christ who is conquering the gates of hell and, and capturing souls and building for himself a, a, a people that can never be taken. And that's beautiful. That We need to see that. God is at work. So um, I rejoice with you this morning. Please turn in your scriptures, or I think it's also in your bulletin, to uh, James chapter 1. James chapter 1. I'm going to read the passage and then uh, I'll pray. I'm going to also read uh, verses 1 through 4, and then I'm going to jump down and read uh, 12, through, uh, 12 through 14. So now hear God's word to us this morning. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be complete, perfect, lacking in nothing. Skipping down to verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then those desires, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Let us pray. Lord, lift up our eyes and our hearts, your spirit be working and needing inside of our, 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 our souls to comprehend with all the angels the reality of your glory, of the ultimate conquering creating God of the saving and perfect son of the indwelling spirit of the illuminating truth I, help me as we uh, I, I seek to proclaim these truths so that all of our hearts would be strengthened for the reality in which we live that we would see your working that we would see with eyes that nobody else outside of your kingdom outside of your church sees that we would walk in a new way have a new perspective on the lot that you have given us in each of our lives. This is only possible through your word and your spirit. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So a question for, for us, and this is a, a good question. I know the answer, but I'll ask it anyways. Who, who wants to have a good life? Who wants a great life? Not only now, like in the next 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years that you have left, but also in the life to come. The, the life in the future where the Father looks down and says to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. Who wants that? We, we all want that life. We want to be the person that is content and satisfied and has this unchangeable joy. 
This person that who is, is constant in their hope as the trials of this life hit them, it, it, it's like nothing. It's, it's the woman who, uh, you ask her, how are you? And despite the politics, be, despite the gas prices, despite the uh, challenges of culture with her, her children, she, she really and truly says, I'm well. Do you know somebody like this, a man or a woman, that has this confidence, this peace, and this joy? It's a, it's a, it's, it's a personality, it's a way of living like Paul. I remember this pastor, Matt Chandler, said this about Paul that has stuck with me. He said, Paul was a guy that didn't care. He was secure in Christ. His hope was up there. It wasn't here. And Paul basically said, kill me and I go be with Christ. Arrest me and I'll convert the guards. Free me and I'll go convert the world. What what can you do to me? That, That was Paul. He was unchangeable. He truly had joy. He truly had peace. It wasn't wavering. Here's the reality. It's not only for the spiritual. It's not only for the men. It's not only for the women. It's not only for the pastor. It's for each and every one of us. This is really available to us, but here's a surprising fact. It's available to us. God makes us this person. He shapes us into this person through trials. It's through the trials, through the thing you and I are saying, stay away, no thank you, I don't. It's through trials that God brings us to this point of being like Paul. Do whatever you want. It's through financial trials. It's through social trials, material trials, physical trials, medical trials, visible trials. It's through invisible trials, dark nights of the soul. It's through wandering children. It's through not having enough income. It's through high interest rates. It's through sickness. It's through the culture. It's through being uh, left out of family events. All sorts. That's why in verse 2, he says, count it all joy as you face all sorts of various trials. It is these things. And get this in our head. This, is, this sermon is very contrary. All of scripture is very contrary to the way we think. But it really grates against what I think and I know and how I live. But trials are not a problem. Trials are the soil in which hope and joy and peace are grown. That's where it's birth. That, that, so, so why would we want to escape that? I know it's so contrary to how we think. Therefore, we, we, we need God to transform our mind. And if you're a, a student of the scriptures, you know in Romans chapter 12, it says the only way that we're really going to believe this, that trials are not a problem, that this is actually my pathway to joy and peace, everything that I want, is if God reveals it, being transformed by the renewing of the word. And I love what Paul prayed for the church in Colossae chapter 1. He says, I pray uh, ever since I heard of your faith, I pray that you be filled with the knowledge of God's will, which is very contrary to ours, and you would be filled with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So therefore, we wouldn't say when trials come, oh no! We wouldn't take them lightly, but we'd say, okay, you're about to do a work. Prepare me for this. The outline for this morning's sermon is, is four, four parts. First, the context. The, the context of the situation. Explaining the context of our lives. And this is not going to be surprising to many of us. But honestly, sometimes we 
I think, forget the context of which we live in. And, and, and the context for us is changing. On the way up here from San Diego, I listened to a John Piper sermon, and he was talking about uh, how the American church is in a new stage that we haven't been. You know, for the last 300 years, we've been the majority, and now we're the minority. And he was saying, this isn't strange. It actually was strange that for the last 300 years, it was easy. We're now entering the norm, but it's very different for us now. Um, so not just context culturally, but context about your own makeup, your, the way the world is. So after context, talk about the very first step we all ought to take when we enter a trial, regardless of what kind of trial it is. What is the first step? The third point, we'll talk about the mechanics of a trial, knowing how something works. Remember the first day of your job or the first day you went to school and you had your locker over here and the gym was over here and the cafeteria was over here or e even in your work, you didn't know who to report to, who to send emails to. You felt out of place. But once you understood the mechanics, you could operate throughout your day and whatever it was. So the mechanics and then finally rediscovering and talking about what truly is joy because I think we have this completely backwards. I know I do in my own heart and it's something that needs to be corrected and made biblical. So number one, the context. Life is hard. Life is hard. Not, not just your life, all lives. I actually live in Coronado where the average house is like, like $2 million. My kids were playing in the alley and they came in and I have four kids and, and the Lord blessed us with a, a tiny shoebox that the six of us live in. And so... It, it, we're still not on the same level, but kids come in from the alley and, and they were kind of down. And my son said, Mom, Dad, you guys really are not good with money. <laughs> because, <laughs> and, and, and he's in fourth grade, so he's, he knows. And he says, his friends, their houses were 1.8, 2.2 million dollars. But I know these people that live in these houses. I know the marriage troubles. I've been called down to a neighbor who just knows that I'm a pastor and sat on their couch and, and talked about marriage infidelity that just t took place. I know men and women that live there that are, are struggling. It's the rich and it's the poor. It's the, it's the kids that aren't cool at school and it's also the popular kids. That was such an a, a amazement for me as I grew older. I realized that even the popular kids at school are terrified inside. Everybody struggles. Life is hard. First Peter tells us this because he knows that this is going to be surprising to us. He says, don't be surprised by the trials as if something strange was happening. This isn't strange. What happens when trials come our way? What's our first thought? What is going on? Why? Why me? Well, our context first is that we live in a fallen world. A fall has taken place. The fall in the beginning of the Bible that we read about where uh, God gave Adam a charge to rule and subdue and to obey. And he gave him a test and he failed that test. And all of humanity was tossed into brokenness and chaos. I have a son with special needs, a, a chromosome deletion. Caused lots of suffering, a lot of stress and, and, and challenges. And that's from the fall. We live in a fallen world. There's wars. What do you think is happening in Ukraine and, and, and Russia? And not just there, in our own history. And There's a brokenness in humanity. There's a raging of war within us. James even says later on in chapter 4, where do quarrels come from? They come from your own desires. 
There's a brokenness in us. And it just keeps, it keeps eating away. Uh, there's also, um, even in James, as he's writing this, it's one of the earliest books in the, uh, in the New Testament, but it's about 12, 12 to 20 years after Jesus' ascension. In James's short time, as he's writing to these Christians that are dispersed all around the Middle East, he already has seen, he's already seen Stephen martyred, James the apostle martyred, He's seen King Herod uh, bring down the, the hammer on Christians. He was there when Paul, who previously was called Saul, was persecuting the church. He was also there during the great famine that took place in like 44 AD. Where for two years, I mean, it, we go to the grocery store and there's no like Kleenex wipes or there's only one uh, choice of bread and we're, we're panicking. There was no bread in all the land. He's seen trials. He's seen struggles. So life is hard because of the fall, but life's also hard, especially for being a Christian. We look at scripture and what do we see? Uh, Paul says, those who desire to live a godly life will suffer. And Paul even says, and, and may, this isn't something we have on our doorway as we leave the house every day. It doesn't say, those, uh, through many tribulations you will enter the kingdom. Get that as a tattoo in Greek. I mean, that's the reality. That's what he said. Through many, this is how you get to the kingdom. You're going you're gonna to suffer. This is a reality, and yet we forget about that. We, we're, we're surprised. Why me? So the first point is just remember our context of which we live, of what Scripture tells us all the time. It tells us life is going to be hard. The world is fallen and broken. It tells us that as a Christian, the world is going to hate you. It's going to be difficult, but it's not all down. Remember what Jesus said. He said in John 16, he says, In the world you will have tri tribulation, but remember this, I have overcome the world. He has overcome the world. We live in a context that isn't the only story. It's a hard world, but this isn't a lasting world. And that's why Paul can say, I'm, I'm convinced that the suffering of this age, whatever you're going through, special needs child, divorce, bankruptcy, sickness, I'm convinced that the sufferings of this age are nothing compared with the glory to come. So when we enter in this world, in this context, we will enter trials. What is the very first step we ought to take? I, you, you see in, in, in the scripture, but we'll get there in a second. I was watching my boys, I have four boys, and they get YouTube time, and I was walking in, and I'm always usually telling them, why are you watching that? Go outside, I go play. Every once in a while, I'll see something on there, and it'll suck me into it. And I got, they, they had this YouTube of this engineer guy who built in his backyard all these traps and obstacle courses for these squirrels, just to see how creative these squirrels could solve this problem and at the end of this obstacle course was this uh, tree house full of nuts and he videoed it and it was in this backyard for a couple months and and I, I for like 20 minutes I was watching this but the very first scene was like a big wall like this and it would have uh, little levels little platforms come out and then those platforms though wouldn't stay out they were mechanical and after a few seconds or it, it was timed it would go back in but another platform would come out and the, you saw these squirrels jump on this platform but as soon as that platform started to move they'd freak out and they'd jump off onto the ground and they they over and over again they kept doing this 
But if they would have just stayed on the platform, they would have realized as this platform went in, another platform came out. And it took them forever to just be patient, wait, and another platform's going to come out. When we are in, when you see like your child just panicking, just losing it, or you see your spouse just losing it, what, what do you usually say? Calm down, slow down, take a breath. Let's look at the situation, right? When we hit trials, what do we all do? We're like the squirrel. We immediately jump. We want out. I want out. I want to get out. But you never progress if you're jumping out of the trial all the time. This is what James is talking about when he, when he says in here. He says, you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. That steadfastness is like a loyalty. It's like a soldier who's, who's committed. It's, a, it's a, a commitment. It's a loyalty. It's a commitment. It produces in you that, 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 like, this is the character we look for in elders. Men that can, can, are steadfast. They're not wavering. They're not perfect, but they have stayed in the fire. And this is what it says. It, it says, trials produce steadfastness, verse 4, and let steadfastness have its full effect. The picture I have in my mind is let, let it stay in the oven a little longer. Let it fully cook all the way through until it's done so that it may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. This is the idea. You, you, you need to stay in the trial. Very first response that we have when we enter trials is how do I get out? How do I get out? How do I get out? Take a breath. This trial has come. Stay in it. See what the Lord is doing. Don't run from it. Because it says that this trial is what? This is what makes you perfect and complete. Now this language is interesting. Uh, it, 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 one commentator believes that it goes back to the sacrificial system at the temple. What did they do when they would bring their sacrifices to the priest? What's, what would the priest do? He'd hold it up. He'd look at it. He's looking at it for spots and blemishes. Is there a baby back there? Okay. Uh, that sounds like a perfect baby. And he's looking at it, and, and if it was perfect and complete, it was a worthy sacrifice. So we're looking for a, this is what makes us, do you understand that, that God didn't choose you because you were great? He didn't choose you because you were close to perfection. I wasn't the most like, oh, wow, this guy, he deserves to be chosen and, and given salvation and redeemed. No, he chose a bunch of fools. He chose a bunch of vagabonds in us. But it says that he's transforming us into the image of God. He's, he's cleansing us. He's wash Jesus is washing us. He's making us something that is beautiful. He does this through trials. So let these trials have their work. God is preparing you for his glory. I love what Charles Spurgeon said. He says uh, in the score, he says, I look back at times, at the times of my trials with a kind of longing. And, and honestly, I think some of us will get this if we really slow down. He says, I look back at the times of my trials with a sense of longing, not that I want them to return, but to feel the strength that I felt during that time, to feel the strong arm of God that I, 
grabbed onto during that time. To see God work on my behalf that I saw God work in that time. It is during these trials that God draws us near to himself. It's during these trials that God makes us right. What does Paul say in Philippians chapter 4 when he says, be anxious for nothing. And then after on he goes, I've learned in much and in little to be content. What's the key word for us in there? I learned. It's not something Paul was born with. And Philippians, I think he's writing from a jail. You might be able to correct me on that. I think he's writing from a jail. 20, 30 years into his ministry. He learned to be content. You don't come out of the womb content. It's through the trials. It's learning that God is still there and he's close and joy is still yours in much and in little. When the future is clear and when the future, you have no idea what's going to happen. It's something you can learn. Trials are the means by which God shapes us. So then why try to escape them? Don't. What trial are you like, God, just take this away? And you're getting frustrated because God's not taking it away. It's actually his mercy by not delivering you. Because a lot of us, if we'd be delivered when the first time we pray, please deliver me, we'd be, we wouldn't be shaped. Because trials, they, when we're in them, they draw our eyes upward towards God. They draw our eyes to the invisible rather than just the visible. They draw our eyes to, to God rather than the circumstantial. And Paul says, you know, the verse it says in 1 Corinthians, he says, focus not on the things that are seen, but on the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen, those are eternal. We've been saved to a future hope that is greater than anything. And I know all we can do is taste and see here and now. We feel the heat. We, we see the lack in the bank account. We see the frustration with our spouse. We, 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 we see all the want and all the scary things. But remember, we're just exiles here. We're just traveling through. This is not our home. We have a better home. So re very first response, just slow down. Be patient in the trial. This is important to understand, the mechanics of trials. Various trials, but really the same mechanics. Uh, by mechanics, I mean just here's the different stages. First, you have to realize when you go into a trial, a trial is to, it does strengthen your faith, but it's not where faith is grown primarily. All of us right now, like if you're in a video game, like above your heads would be like a power chart of how strong your faith is right now. And you enter that trial with that faith. And that trial tests that faith. It shows that faith. It reveals that faith. It, it, it exposes it, not to God, but really to us and to others around us. We are carrying a certain amount of faith. Now, faith saves us. Even the faith of a babe. Immature faith. My son has special needs and, and he can communicate and understand very little, but he knows Jesus as his Savior in a very childlike way, and it saves him. But there is a faith that is weak, and there's a faith that's strong. We see in Hebrews chapter 4, or Romans chapter 4, it says that Abraham, when he was in the trial of having an offspring, remember God, he had no children. God said, hey, through you I'm going to make the whole world uh, as many as the shore. But he's like, I don't have a child. And God said, I'm going to give you a child. Do you know how long it took between the promise and the fulfillment? 
25 years. 25 years. And although there was a time where uh, through his wife Sarah, he, he tried other ways. He tried to escape. God kept his foot to the fire and it says he grew strong in his faith. Even as he got older and the chances of having a child grew, grew less and less, he grew stronger in his faith. Um, we can grow in our faith. Hebrews says, hey, you should be eating meat, but you're drinking milk. You're weak in faith. You don't understand. So for us, our faith is revealed when trials come upon us. And so we enter into uh, the, the, these trials and the reality comes out. It's easy to glorify God when things are going good. But how about Job when he says, after he lost his kids, his house, he said, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. When the Lord taketh from you, do you bless the Lord? Where is your faith? The trial reveals it. And so you enter into the trial already with your faith. Various trials, brief trials, long trials. And then here's what happens. Your sin nature, which has been, done, which has been crucified in Christ, but still remains. Like Paul says, hey, the things I don't want to do, I still do. Your sin nature, which cannot disqualify us from God because Christ has purchased our salvation with his own blood and his own works but it still remains, it still nags at us. And when we're in a trial, it's saying, escape, escape, escape at all costs. Alarms are going off, and it starts to tempt us. That's why I read this second part. It's not God tempting you. When you get into a trial, guess what? God wants you to succeed. He wants you, he wants a church, he wants his body to succeed. He brings us into trials to make us more like him. He's, he's not saying, I'm going to put you into this trial and I hope that you fail. No, that scripture in James says, he tempts us. We are tempted when we're lured away by our own desires. We're, lured, we're, we're drawn away. So a perfect example is um, uh, our housing situation. We are, have been asked to leave in middle of July. And it's just crazy, hard to find anything there. And there's so many, everything in me is saying, run, 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 run. Because it's saying, I, I want security. I want, I want to know surety. I want to know what's going to happen July 16th. What, what's going to happen? And, and our, our, our own desires were tempted, and we're tempted to sin. And, and James is telling us, that's not from God. God wants you to succeed. He wants you to not look at that video. He wants you to be tempted by HGTV and be content with your house, though, what you have. He's not looking for us to fail. When you're tempted and you fail, it's not God dangling a carrot and laughing at you. No, he brings you through trials, which are a natural occurrence of living in this world, so that you may grow strong and succeed. So just remember that as you go through trials, you're going into it with your faith, if you're in the trial and you fight that temptation, you don't give in to the desire to run and get out at all costs. If you sit and settle in it and keep saying, God, you are here. You are with me. You are valuable. Your promises are right. You will come out and your faith will actually grow and you'll be stronger and you'll be made more like God. And there, therefore, the next trial, you'll, you'll be stronger at it. Saints, because of the trials that I've gone through, because of the trials you have gone through, 
I've seen this in my own life because what happens in trials when, 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 it, when you lose, in trials they take away your confidence in this world. They take away your confidence in, in your own strength. They take away your confidence in security. They take away your confidence in the government. And finally, it, trials break you down until you're like this. And this is where you can truly be at peace and have joy. I've learned in little and in much to be content. And I rejoice always in the Lord. So endure the mechanics of the, the trial. And finally, we have to discover what true joy is. Because if, if, if we're honest with each other, count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials. That, it's easy to say, hard to live, even harder to do. We get it up here, but we don't get it right here. To really count it all joy. I have a little uh, picture of a little St. Jude boy on my, uh, on my wall in my office. St. Jude, the kids that get cancer. He's got, don't think I'm holy because it's been up there for like six months. And I've been meaning to donate, but I haven't. So <laughs> good intentions, not good follow through. But you know, what was I saying? Oh, <laughs> Earlier this morning, somebody said, uh, thank you for coming last minute. Well, I said, it's okay, you're getting a last minute sermon. <laughs> uh, these trials are that, the suffering of a parent sitting in a, a hospital room with a child with cancer. These trials are the, the, the parent who is killed in a car wreck and the mother or the spouse. I'm not making light of these trials. These are really awful, awful trials. And, and James is saying, yes, that. Count it all joy. He doesn't say that you're going into it with joy. He doesn't say, oh yes, here's joy. I'm going to grow now. Time to grow. The only way you have to understand this is to understand the great big picture. You got to understand the, 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 the big picture of what God is doing. That this world is passing. That the pleasures of this life are fleeting. That the things that we think, oh, you know what's joy to me? This is what we, we have in our mind. A house full of kids. And they're just, the bills are paid. The husband and wife are there. And, 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 and we got a vacation. And I, I got that nice furniture. Or I have that job. I have that security. Or joy is that vacation. Or joy is that trip on the boat. Joy is, a, a, you know, the church taking back America. That, that's, we think that's joy. That, that, that stuff is it. That joy is fleeting. That's not real joy that stands the test of time. That passes. So when we look at Scripture, Scripture declares this. He says, Joy is found in Jesus. Philippians 4 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Joy is something that God fills us with. Romans 15 13. May the God of all hope fill you with the joy in your salvation. Joy is, is being in the presence of God. Psalm 1611 says, the sermon's over. It, Psalm 1611 says, says, in your presence is the fullness of joy. Hebrews 1034 says, uh, joy is not found even in your possessions. The writer of Hebrews reminding the Christians that were struggling, he says, remember in your early days when you joyfully accepted the plundering of your possessions? They would, they, I, I have a small business. If, pe 
back then they were taking the business away from people. They were taking their own possessions. And the Christians were joyful because they knew that they had a better and abiding possession, the kingdom of God. That's joy. That's joy where Paul can say, you can understand, kill me and I'm with Jesus. Let me free and I'm going to preach the gospel. Arrest me and I'll convert the guards. This is why Paul can also say in 2 Corinthians, he says, I take pleasure in my infirmities, in the reproaches, in my needs, in my precautions, in my distresses, in Christ. This is what I rejoice in. I take pleasure in this because when I am weak, then I am made strong because I see God come through. Who can take that away from you? Can a higher interest rate take that away from you? Can your friends at school that don't think you're cool take that away from you? That is true joy. That's everlasting joy. That's joy that's not going to change. That's joy. And you know, we do see it in this world, don't we? When we have like family reunions and grandmothers or grandfathers over in the corner and their body has given way and you know their time is near and they don't have the energy to even get down with the kids. But they sit there and they see the kids playing. And they have, a, they have a deeper joy. And that's even only just a taste of the joy of heaven. A joy that you have a savior. A joy that in your trial you have a net underneath you. You are not out there alone. You have a, a joy of a promise that he will turn this for good. For your growth and glory. You have a joy that this trial will not last forever. You have a joy knowing that evil is going to be done away with. You have a joy knowing you have an inheritance in heaven. You have a joy knowing your sins are forgiven. You have a joy that God is God and Christ is king. And he's going to return soon. That's pure joy. And you only come to that joy through the trials you're facing now and you're going to face in the future. So don't give up. Count them as joy. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for your word that shines a much-needed light on our reality. And I pray, Lord, that for those who are going through trials, that we would not make light of them, that your comfort and your word would, would come to them and encourage them. And you even give us, you, you know that we are exiles and we're pilgrims and it's hard, and so you refresh us to these realities. You give us your, your meal you preach it to us and then you feed it to us through the Lord's Supper to strengthen us and remind us of the reality that you too were made perfect by trials. You too were made perfect by suffering and you are making all things right. Give us the patience, Lord, to endure. In Christ's name we pray, amen.